Open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. Hebrews, chapter 12. As I say so often again, I, I'm just amazed at the way that God puts things together. And uh, without any effort on our part, and I was thinking about that this uh, week as I prepared the message. And, uh, and although I didn't plan it this way at all, there's uh, clearly a connection between the message today and what I've been preaching over the last month. I, I just looked back over the last month and I preached, uh, I guess it was four weeks ago, living faithfully in a fallen world. The next week I preached about enduring to the end, and the next week after that I preached about faithful to the finish. And uh, there might have been one one gap in there, but uh, that's pretty close. But today, today I want to speak about being focused on the finish. Focus on the finish. And the text is here in Hebrews chapter 12 in the first three verses. Well, foreseen we are also are we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I doubt that a week ever goes by without me thinking about these verses. And the older I get, the more I think about them. I've often said that the most important thing that a Christian can do is to constantly think about who they are and what they have as a result of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, all of that and more is summed up there in the first part of verse 3 where the writer says, Consider Him. Consider Him. Consider His person. Consider His work. Consider what He did for you. Consider what that means to you, what you have, who you are as a result, there's no telling over the years how many times I've preached from these verses. I've, I've no, just no telling. Uh, I, I don't know that I could possibly even go back through the records and figure out how many times I've preached from these verses. Now, by that, I don't mean that I preach the same sermon uh, each time. And, and certainly I'm not preaching a sermon this morning that I've ever preached before that I know of. And I think I can say that without any, uh, uh, without any contradiction. But before we examine the text itself, let me just remind you of how important it is that we as Christians be faithful. Being faithful to the finish ought to be the goal of every single Christian here today. You know, there's a sense in which you could say that if you're not faithful, you are finished. If you're not faithful, you're already finished. By that, 
I, now, look, I mean you haven't come to the end of life's road, but you are finished if you're not faithful. In other words, there's no justification, no reason whatsoever for you to remain upon this earth if you're not going to be faithful to God. You're finished. I, look, all of us have a job to do. We have a race to run, and it's imperative that we be faithful. And so, in order to be faithful, we have to focus on the future. Now, with that in mind, I want you to notice three three simple things about uh, this text this morning. That if we're going to remain faithful to the finish, we have to focus on the future. And in order to focus on the future, we have to do three things. It's three things depends upon this. Number one is what we long for. What we long for. What do you want out of life? Think about that. What do you want out of life? I mean, look, if we took a vote today, say, how many of you, how many of you would like to live for a few more days? We'd all vote on that, right? We'd all vote for that. Oh, yeah, I'm not ready to die, man. I want to live. Uh, why do you want to live? What difference does it make? Uh, what do you hope to accomplish? What is your purpose? What, what is your mission in life? And there's a difference. What is your purpose? What is your mission? What are your goals? What is your vision? And we could just go on and on talking about things related to why we're here on this earth. Now, let me tell you, we don't have to wonder about that. We don't have to take a wild guess because God is willing to make that perfectly clear to us. As I wrote uh, an article yesterday, God made it perfectly clear to me 50 years ago, about midnight last night. And he made it clear to me, and Bev and I, we were talking about it this morning, and you know there are some things that happen in your life that are just too sacred to even try to talk about. And uh, and we were talking about it uh, briefly this morning that it was an experience like neither one of us had really ever had before. We all we were doing was just praying there about midnight with with our pastor and uh, and his wife, kneeling there in prayer, and and God just made it clear to me: this is what I want you to do. Look, God's not the author of confusion. God wants you to know what He wants you to do. And He'll reveal it to you. He reveals it to you in part through the Word. He reveals it to you by His Spirit. And so when we think about why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing and what have you, we don't have to take a wild guess at it. We don't have to consult with somebody else. We don't have to, you know, depend upon the flesh. You know, somebody says, well, boy, I'd love to do this or that, so I, I think that's what I'll do. You don't have the right to make that decision. That's God's choice. Our purpose in life is to be decided by the Lord. Now notice, in our text, the Christian life is compared to a race. Now, in other places, it's compared, for example, to a warfare. In other places, it's compared to a marriage. 
And so there are many different analogies you find in the Bible in trying to describe what the Christian life is all about. But in this instance, it's likened unto a race. Now, he's not talking about jogging for better health or or running just for recreation. I don't even know how that could be possible. But, kind of like that golf, I guess, you know. I, 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 I don't know. But let me tell you, racing in those days was serious business. It required great dedication. And in fact, in those, in the Olympics back in the beginning, you had to be a citizen of the country to participate. It was that serious. Just some, you know, somebody else couldn't come along and say, Hey, I can beat any of those guys. Let me in the race. You know, couldn't do it like we do today. You had to be a citizen. Well, let me tell you one thing. If you've never been born again, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're not in the race. And we need to get that settled right at the very beginning to be in this race. You have to be a Christian. This is a description of the Christian's life that it is a race. And, and so consequently, we are to run, he says. Now remember who he's writing to. He's writing to a church. And if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll discover that he's writing here to a church that was adrift. And that's why he says what he does. Look in verse number 12, where he says, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And, and, and so that's why he makes a point here to tell them to run. I mean, normally you wouldn't have to tell somebody to run if they're in a race, you know. But he's telling them that they are to run. Here is a church, a people, God's people, and all of a sudden they are just adrift. They, in other words, they've lost their focus, they've lost their energy, and they're just kind of going with the flow and existing. We might say today they're in a spiritual rut, and he's trying to get them going again. And so he says, run. What about you? Are you running? Or maybe you're sitting on the sidelines, like an observer, you know. Instead of being a participant in the race, you're sitting on the sideline. You're cheering everybody else on. Oh, there goes brother so-and-so, and there goes sister so-and-so. And it carries out that note. It's so beautiful, and I love brother so-and-so whenever he prays. And I, oh, it's wonderful watching what they do. But look, are you running? That's the question. Are you really in the race? Are you running? Some people are just kind of half-heartedly involved. If you're going to be in a race, you've got, listen, you've got to strain every muscle. You've got to exert yourself. You can't just jog around the track and hope that you win, you see. But notice, he says that we are to run, and here's an important phrase. The, the race that is set before us. I sat in my office this weekend and I kept thinking about that phrase and it almost made a train wreck out of this message because I really thought about just spending uh, the whole time this morning talking about that one phrase, the race that is set before us. He's not talking about just running a race. Not something that we pick and choose, not something that's forced upon us, but this is a race that is set before us. You see, God has already decided what He wants each and every one of us to do. And by the way, 
It's different for all of us. But he has an appointed purpose and a path that he has ordained for each and every one of us. And whatever that path is ought to be given top priority in our life. Run the race that is set before us. Your race in some ways might be different than that of others. The course might be different. That's what I'm trying to say. The course might look, it might have more hills, it might have more valleys, it might, you know, it might have more rocks in the road and more difficulty. But whatever the race is that he sets before you, he says, that's what I want you to run. If we're going to be focused on the finish, we have to consider what it is that we long for. Are we really in this with all of our heart? But there's another thing. Why don't we look at this? There's something very important here that if we're going to focus on the finish, it depends on what we lay aside. Not just what we long for, but what we lay aside. And, and, and notice, he says, lay aside every weight. This is verse 1. Lay aside every weight. So we're to lay aside, in other words, whatever tires us out. The point is, and by the way, in those ancient times, the runners literally, many of them ran naked. They stripped themselves off of all of their clothes. They didn't want anything that would trip them up, anything that would impede their progress in any way. Notice he says that we are to lay aside every weight. Now later on, and we look at it, he talks about sin. But he's not talking about sin here. He's talking about weight. Can you imagine somebody deciding that they're going to run in the Boston Marathon? And, uh, and so they put on a big old parka. And, 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 and they put on some combat boots. And, you know, they might, might even put their duffel bag on, you know, their, all of their gear, their kit and it, everything. And, and to think about them getting out there and running a race with all of that stuff uh, is mind boggling. I happened to read something this week. Do you know a lot of those, uh, a lot of those real serious minded runners, they take all of their toenails out. I'm serious. Now, you've got to be pretty serious to go to the doctor and say, I want you to take all my toenails off because I'm, you know, I'm a professional runner and uh, I've got to eliminate anything that would give me a problem. But I, I'm telling you the truth. That's how fanatical some people are about racing. But the point is you don't go out there with a 25-pound dumbbell in each hand trying to run a race and expect to win. You've got to lay aside every weight. I really don't think that our greatest enemy, whenever I'm talking about we, I'm talking about we Christians, I don't think our greatest enemy is evil or sin as we normally think about it. I think the greatest evil, the greatest enemy of that which is best in our life is things that are good. Not things that are bad. In other words, we can get so wrapped up in the things of this world that, that it impedes our progress in serving God. Whenever Paul was writing to Timothy and he wrote to Timothy about 
the Christian life being like a warfare. And he said, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who's chosen him to be a soldier. I mean, look, if you're you're going to be involved in the Lord's army, or if you're going to run in this race, whatever it is that you're going to do in life, and if you're going to be at your very best, you can allow other things to distract you and hinder you. And when you do, those sinless things might become sinful. There's not anything wrong with hunting and fishing and a lot of other recreations and things like that. That's all well and good up to the point that it hinders you from doing what God wants you to do. That becomes a weight that you have to lay aside. That weight can be almost anything, but if you're going to run successfully, you have to get rid of those things that tire you out, those things that that cause you to expend your energy and waste your time doing other things other than what God wants you to do. Secondly, and we're still talking about things that we need to lay aside, not only the things that tire us out, but the things that trips us up. He said, and the sin which the so easily beset us. Now, listen, sin of any kind hinders and hurts. Just make it difference what kind of sin it is. It's going to hurt you in some way. It's going to be a hindrance to your life in some way. Any sin, but I believe he's talking about some particular sin here. Notice he says, and the sin. Not just some sin, but the sin which doth so easily beset us. You know, some people, there are certain sins they're not even tempted to do. There there are folks here today that you've never been tempted to take a drink in your life. That's no temptation to you. I can tell you what, for the first month after I was saved, I cringed every time I drove down Sunshine there in Springfield, Missouri. Every time I went by that bar where I nearly lived for so long, every time I drove by there, it scared me to death because I was afraid I was going to pull in the parking lot. But some of you, look, you've never had a problem like that, have you? That's not the sin that would so easily beset you. But I can guarantee you there is a sin, some particular sin, some area of your life where you are more prone to disobey God than in other areas. And you better be careful in that regard. That's something you better lay aside, something you better get the victory over, or it will end up destroying you. It trips you up. I was reading this morning, actually it was a conversation between two preachers about another preacher. I didn't qualify as gossip because it was more in the line, you know, at least in their mind, it was more in the line of a prayer request. They were deeply concerned about a mutual friend of theirs who had, who had sinned and uh, was no longer in the ministry. And I thought to myself, as my mind went back over the years of how many I've seen that were tripped up somewhere along the course, tripped up, and now out of the ministry. 
Not just preachers. I'm talking about people that at one time had been faithful servants of the Lord and something tripped them up. Men and women who were ever so faithful to God's church and all of a sudden something happens, sin enters into the picture and it destroys them and their family. But there's something else we need to lay aside. Not only what tires you out, not only what trips you up, now, this is going to sound a little bit odd to you, but you, listen, whatever ticks you off, whatever ticks you off. Now, we got to be careful using some of these phrases, you know, uh, and so I literally did a Google. I wanted to be sure that there wasn't some, can, and again, let me remind you, you better be really careful about some of the terms that you use sometimes in expressing your feelings and your thoughts. Because it's real easy for us to get in areas where we shouldn't be, but this is actually a, this is actually a, a, a you know a legitimate phrase. It speaks about us being upset, angered, or annoyed. Now I want you to get the connection here. We're talking about things that tick you off. Now notice what he says: run with patience. That word patience means endurance. It, it, it literally means to endure, to be steadfast. It means to, to be unswerving in your purpose. It means to be loyal even during times of trials and suffering. That, that's all involved in that word patience. I don't know about you, but it seems to me like that the thing that annoys and angers most people and gets them all bent out of shape and makes them want to throw in the towel is when all of a sudden they find themselves facing these trials and, and, and difficulties in their life and they don't understand it. After all, they reason that they love God, they're faithful to God, they give to God, they do all of these things and all of a sudden the bottom falls out and they're just mad. They're ticked off. And let me tell you, if the truth be known, there are some folks that are anger, angry with God Himself. I'm telling you, it happens. We don't understand what He is doing in our life, and so consequently we begin to assume that He doesn't have our best interest at heart which is foolish. And he's telling us that we need to run regardless of the difficulties. We are to run with patience. If you want to make it to the end, let me tell you, there are going to be some rough spots in the road. And you can't let those things stop you. But then notice there's something else here that has to be laid aside, and that is whatever turns you aside. Now, we're not talking about the heavy weights and things that would, in some way, that would tire you out. We're not talking about sin that would trip you up. We're not talking about difficulties that would tick you off. We're talking about whatever might turn you aside. In, in, in other words, uh, about the first thing you tell the new driver is keep your eyes on the road. 
I, I was in town the other day. I was telling Bev yesterday. I was behind this woman. And she kept coming down 1960. I'm trying to get home. The traffic is terrible. There's about 10 cars between her and the next car up there. I'm about to miss the light. I did miss the light. I'm right on her bumper trying to send her a message. I'm messing with my, with my sun visor. I'm throwing my hands up there. She's not budging. And all of a sudden I noticed she's got one of those, one of those holder doohickeys, you know, that holds the phone right up there. And she'd drive a while and she'd reach up there and doing things on that phone and moving stuff around. And it's a wonder she didn't have a wreck. Let me tell you something. When you take your eyes off the road, you're in dangerous territory. There are a lot of times that we get in trouble because we take our eyes off the prize. Notice what he says here in verse 2, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. There are many distractions in life. If we took a survey this morning, I can almost guarantee you there's no one here that would say that I just, I, I want to deny God. You, you wouldn't say that, would you? And I, I think nearly everybody here would say, I don't want to disobey God, right? We, we don't want to disobey God. We love Him after all. But I'm telling you, there are a lot of us that we let things distract us from God. We're just not paying attention. And as a result of that, all of a sudden there's a, we crash and burn. If you're going to run the race, you better keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. Now that brings us to the third point, which is this point, actually, and we'll enlarge upon it, and that's what we look at. You see, not only what we long for, not only what we lay aside, but what we look at. And notice he says, looking unto Jesus. I can talk for the next two or three hours with no problem whatsoever, just on those words. Looking unto Jesus. But you know, sometimes the best way to make a point is not to elaborate upon it to the extent that you wear everybody out. It's like the old saying, the mind can absorb only what the seed of the riches can endure. So I don't want to wear you out. And so to make my point quickly, let, let's just think about some illustrations. We're talking about what we look at. And in this case, we're looking unto Jesus. And naturally, the first illustration that comes to mind is in racing, right? Because that's what we're talking about, a race. Think about the Olympics and all of those runners out there. And look, they're each one assigned a lane, right? And they have, if they're to run lawfully, they can't just get in the other person's lane in most races. Some races, you know, it's different, and I understand that, and... If it's a marathon, you can do a lot of different things. But the point being is, even in a marathon, there are certain restrictions on the course that you run. You can't cut across. You know, if you're going, what is a, 
uh, what is it, 224, 440 once around the track? You, you can't get halfway down there and look across, see the finish line or say, man, that'd be a whole lot better than going down there and making those curves. I'm going to cut across there. You'd be disqualified. You can't do that. But there's another reason. It's not just a matter of legality. There's another reason. And that is if we're going to, if we're going to finish well, if we're going to reach our goal, if we're going to finish the course set before us, we can't exhaust ourselves out there running in circles. Several years ago, I don't know who it was, this football game, and this guy, had, I think he had intercepted a pass or something, and he's about to, about to make a touchdown, but before he gets down to the goal line, he's got that ball, and instead of going across, he's going to really rub it in, and he's dancing around like this, you know, and running around, and he dropped the ball. <laughs> and the other team got it back, and he didn't get the touchdown. Can you imagine explaining that to the coach? Let me, let me, you, you can't wear yourself out running a different course than what has been a, appointed to you. You to keep looking to the finish line, to the prize. I think here's another illustration, plowing. Some, some of you are old enough to remember and maybe had the experience of plowing. I remember that my best friends there in the neighborhood, they, they had a truck farm and had an old Ford tractor and I've driven that thing all over the place and I didn't take long to learn that if you're starting here and you're going down to the other end of the field, you want to pick out down there, you know, something that you're driving toward. You don't want to just look out there at the hood of the tractor. You'll be all over that field if you do that. You've got to pick out a point down there at the end of the field, and that's your line of sight. Otherwise, you're just making the furrows like this. Think, think about, um, how many of you have ever heard of Bill Knox? Anybody? Some, how, really? How many bowlers do we have? I know we've got some of you that like to bowl. 1933, Bill Knox is the guy... They put a giant screen across the, across the lane to where all he could see is a little bit at the bottom, couldn't see the pins or anything. And he shocked the world and especially the crowd there that day when he bowled a 300 game without being able to see the pins. And he started something that is known as spot bowling. We call it today, you know, we talk about our mark out there. It's a certain board or one of the arrows, but we've got our mark. And we get back here, you know, and we get our stance in the same place. You don't start in different places. All of you get right there where you're going to be. You know where your spot. You're not looking at the pins down there. If you are, you'll never be a really good bowler. You've got to look at that spot. And if you hit that spot and everything else remains the same, the ball's going to end up down there where it's supposed to go. Now let me tell you, whenever it comes to life, I want you to understand that Jesus is that spot, so to speak. 
He is the one that we must keep our eyes on, looking unto Jesus. And that word looking there speaks about our gaze, not a glance. Some of you, every Sunday morning, you come in and you get a glance at Jesus. But it's just a glance, and then you go home and that's it. But he's talking about a gaze, gazing upon Him. Every day of your life, whatever you do, take time, open His Word, get on your knees, lift up your heart in prayer, spend time with God, be looking unto Jesus every day of your life, gazing on Him. Because He's the author and finisher. Now, verse 2 shows us the importance of keeping our eyes on Jesus. If we don't, we're liable to faint, give up. But notice verse number 3, because it shows us how we do that. How do we keep our eyes on Jesus? Notice it says, considering Him. What does that mean? Consider His excellence for one thing. Consider His experience whenever He sacrificed Himself on the cross. And He refers to that, in fact. He talks about, in verse 2, the fact that despising the shame, He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But that was after He had endured the cross. And so He's talking about these experiences. Consider His example. Consider His endurance and His encouragement. Consider Him. The old song had it right, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face. The things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You get your eyes off of Christ and it's just a matter of time till you crash and burn. I love, I love that old song. I'd be glad Brother Ron gets where he's feeling well, and if he can get back in the choir and when we sing this song, you can always hear Brother Ron, usually above everyone, singing, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race. Allie. Yeah, that's it. Till we see Christ. Let me tell you, folks, it's always too soon to quit. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how difficult it is, it's always too soon to quit. I want to spend my life looking unto Jesus, and I want to spend eternity looking at Jesus. Amen? Because it doesn't get any better than that. We're not going to be judged by, by how we start. We're going to be judged by how we finish. You might stumble along the way. You might fall momentarily. You might act out of character on occasion. Get up and brush yourself off and get back in the race and keep going because it'll be worth it all. It's not a race for heaven, but it's a race to heaven. And we should never give up until we get there. I hope that if you're here today and you're a child of God, you are in the race. 
Whether you're running or not, I don't know. But you're enrolled, as it were, in the race. And you need to run with all that is within you. But if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you're not in the race. You're not in the race at all. And your only chance is to be looking unto Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon, if I remember the story, and he had gone to church many times, but because of inclement weather, he couldn't go to his normal church that day. And so there, there in London, I believe it was, or somewhere in England, he, uh, he started out and stopped in some little old church, and the preacher preached that morning on uh, look to the Lamb of God. And he just kept repeating, look to me and be ye saved all of the ends of the earth. And finally, you know, that morning he realized that all it took was a look of faith on the Lord Jesus Christ to become a child of God and he was saved. You can be saved this morning just by the look of faith upon Jesus Christ and trusting him. I hope you'll do that. While we stand this morning as we sing together, if you're already a Christian and you're in the race, but for some reason you dropped out, it might be that one of God's children did something to hurt your feelings. They offended you. It might be that you're just tired and weary. You just feel beaten. You just feel like you can't go on. And you've sat down on the sidelines. Let me encourage you, get up. You don't have to, listen, you're not in competition with anybody else. You don't have to run, outrun anybody else. Just keep running. It's not a matter of how fast. not a matter of beating somebody else. It's a matter of doing your best because it's on the basis of faithfulness that we're going to be rewarded when we stand before Christ. While we sing, you come. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful things of earth will grow strangely in the light.
I hope each and every one can say, I'm not only in the race, I'm running the race the very best that I, I know how. You know, if we went out to watch the races, for example, maybe, you know, whenever the, the high schools, when they're having their track and field events and we go out there and we watch somebody, let's say, run the 440 and none of us are experts that I know of, but I, we could all tell if there's someone out there just running at half speed. I mean, they're just jogging. I mean, the rest of them, man, they're running. They've already reached the 220 mark, and the other one's about 100 yards down there jogging, looking around, waving up there to the crowd. And, and my point is that everybody can tell. And, you know, so many times that, we, you know, we might, we might want to leave the impression with people that we're really running our best for the Lord, but we're not, we're not fooling anybody. They can tell. They really can. You just know when somebody's putting all they've got into it, it becomes obvious. I guess the moral of that story is I, we shouldn't make a fool out of ourselves by pretending we're something we're not. Run your very best. Well, I'm telling you, listen, the prize is worth the effort. Amen. You read Philippians chapter 3 and you get home. You'll understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. Thank you for your attention. So good to see Margie Smith back. Margie's been sick for some time now, and we're so glad that her and Bud's able to be here. Thank God for that. And you pray for those others that... Uh, we're just waiting for them to get back and pray that God will meet their needs. Let's all bow together as we go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Brother Keith Campbell, would you word our prayer, please, sir? Dear Father, we're just so thankful for the opportunity to come to the Lord today. Listen to the word, dear, and 